According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Once again, we are in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 2 through 6. Proverbs 1, verses 2 through 6, studying the benefits of studying Proverbs. This is what Proverbs will do to you. To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction. This is what Proverbs will do to you. Those who submit themselves to Proverbs will be benefited in all these ways. To give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. And uh, boy, there's no uh, shortage of that. We need, uh, we need a whole lot of that. <laughs> Our entire culture needs a whole lot of that. Um, in fact, that one is so significant, it has a side trip. Uh, verse 5 is an, is an expansion out of verse 4. A wise man will hear an increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. And so uh, the, the impact from verse 4 is so significant that it gets its own extension and its own um, uh, expansion there in verse 5. Then we return in verse 6 back to the purpose clauses that we have here with two to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. So everything that you have there with the uh, the uh, English to, to know, to discern, to receive, to give, um, to understand, all of these are the goals, the objectives, the results of what happens. This is what Proverbs does when you submit to Proverbs in your life. All right, before we begin, let's take a moment for silent prayer and ask the Father to set aside distractions and humble us under the authority of his word. Shall we pray? Dear Father, we do thank you for the blessing we have to assemble together. We ask for your faithfulness in this study, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, Father, and, and uh, teach us not only what your word says, but how we embrace it, how we apply it, and uh, the particular um, counterfeits that the world also offers, Father, in every one of these uh, categories that we're studying today. So equip us, Father, to, to live that which pleases you, and equip us to uh, combat the uh, the counterfeits and the frauds and the the uh, realms of darkness that stand opposed to you. And I thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so in the outline, this is the chapter 1 outline. We've dealt with point 1, Solomon, son of David. We've dealt with point 2, the Proverbs of Solomon. And now we are in main point 3. Solomon begins by explaining what the book of Proverbs will do and how to get started. You get started with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So it begins with the right attitude and reverence before Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God of Israel. If we are not in the right uh, mindset of reverence, we cannot receive the instruction. That's why we start every Bible class with silent prayer. We want to not only confess sins, and what if you're not carnal when you walk in? That's, I mean, you don't have to be carnal when you walk in the church building, and hopefully you're not carnal when you walk in the church building. There's more to do than just confess your sins in the opening prayer. It is the, it is the intentional act on your part to humble yourself, to, to, uh, to be in humility receiving the word implanted that's able to save our soul. So we have to start with the fear of the Lord attitude. That's how you get started. Well, what will the book of Proverbs do? The book of Proverbs will do a number of things, and we've seen three of them so far. We're in the midst of the third one right now. First of all, sub-point A, it equips the reader to know wisdom and disciplined instruction. <clears throat> that is the first part of verse 2 there, to know wisdom and disciplined instruction. And the more that we saturate our thinking with Proverbs, we are going to know wisdom. We're going to know God's chachma, God's true wisdom. And we're going to know the wisdom of this world that stands in opposition to the wisdom of God. All right. Likewise, we're going to know the disciplined instruction. We're going to identify with the, the um, child training that we're under. We're going to identify with the fact that we are sons of our father and he trains us like a parent trains a child. And that includes discipline in the instruction. So we have both chachma and musar. Now this is what uh, the world despises. This is what the world rejects. This is what the world tells you, you don't need that. And the world will always uh, view 
Bible study as foolish. We'll always view God's wisdom as foolish. And even the concept of discipline is mocked, unless they're going to try to twist it to their own application, right? You don't need to study um, and, and so forth. You certainly don't need to be a Christian to be moral. That's ridiculous. And they will tell you that, right? In fact, all the items we're seeing today, the instruction, we have the uh, curriculum for this disciplined instruction in the, the third uh, purpose clause to receive disciplined instruction in wise behavior or successful living, righteousness, justice, and equity. Righteousness, justice, and uprightness. Okay? And those four curricula of life, the world will tell you, you don't need Christianity for any of those because the cosmos offers their own perversions of all of them. And you can be a fine, moral, upstanding person, well-respected in your community and in your Lions Club and in your Optimist Club and in your workplace and in everything else, all right, without biblical Christianity, without the Word of God shaping your thinking. If you embrace the world's provision, the conformity to this I own and the cosmos wisdom that Satan offers up as a counterfeit. So we'll be dealing with that as we uh, move forward today. This uh, wisdom is despised. The world views it as foolishness, even though God says that uh, it's the world's wisdom that is the, the true foolishness in the universe. Point B, studying Proverbs equips the reader to discern the sayings of discernment. This is the second part of verse 2. To discern the discernments. To bean the binah. Alright? To discern the discernments. To rightly divide that which needs to be rightly divided. This requires careful discernment. And it's necessary. It is absolutely necessary because there is so much out there that needs to be distinguished. It has the appearance of wisdom, but it is not wisdom. And we need to rightly discern. We need to have righteous judgment. We need to um, not just swallow everything that's being dished up. And to be able to bean the binah is critical. And Proverbs will teach us how to bean the binah. We're going to see bean many times in the book of Proverbs. Bean is the verb to have discernment or to discern. And binah is the noun, the saying of discernment. All right, And so when we are able to take the Word of God and focus it on an issue whereby we can, we can cut a line, we can, we can draw a line in the sand, as it were, then we are going to bean the binah. Because that line in the sand whereby we distinguish between this and that. Okay? Uh, between this and that. That's, what, that's the idea of bean and binah. It's between this and that. So we draw our line and we say, all right, between this and that. Okay? And, and the, the more we're able to do that, the more we're able to just simplify our lives. Because quite often, most of the, the fuzziness and the nuance and the sophistication and all the ridiculous stuff the world tries to hit you with, you can boil it all down to a simplicity of saying, well, I'm either going to serve the Lord or I'm going to serve myself. <laughs> okay? And when you learn to boil it down, when you learn to draw that line and say, look, it's this or that, you have beamed the binah. And uh, we'll have more to say on that as we uh, work our way through Proverbs. Thirdly, studying Proverbs equips the reader to accept the discipline instruction in four areas. Studying Proverbs equips the reader to accept the disciplined instruction. In verse 2, we know what the disciplined instruction is. But now we have to accept it. Now we have to uh, be affected by it and, and employ it in our lives. Studying Proverbs equips the reader to accept the disciplined instruction for insightful living or successful living, righteousness, justice, and uprightness. It is rendered as equity, and I don't like that. That's, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a crummy rendering. I don't like equity. Uh, I prefer uprightness, and we'll talk about that today. That's our message today is justice and uprightness. So we'll, deal, we'll finish verse 3 today if I have to keep you here till dinner. All right. And because uh, I want to move on to the to the knuckleheads in verse four, and we get into then the naive, the youth, in uh, in verse four. So, studying Proverbs equips the reader to accept the disciplined instruction, and this is what it comes down to. Disciplined instruction has to be accepted; it has to be submitted to. Otherwise, what good does it do? And you can fake it; you can try to fake it. But until you fully submit to it, that discipline instruction isn't real. All right? And this is, uh, 
This is so key in, in child training, but this is key in, in uh, studying the Word of God. This is key in submitting ourselves to what it is the Word of God does. All right? And if you've ever seen a, 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 an unruly child or a defiant child, someone that grits their teeth or they, they, they act like they're obedient, but they don't mean it. It's not from the heart. They're just doing you know, what they have to do. And then the minute mom and dad aren't looking, then they're off doing whatever. There's no, they're not accepting the discipline. All right? The, the parents are attempting to administer the discipline. The child is not accepting the discipline. And so even, even if he has external obedience, what has he really achieved? He has not grown by that discipline. He has not been nurtured by that discipline. In so many respects, it's the, it's the experience of being disciplined that has far more value than whether or not the bed's made and the laundry's picked up and the, the chores are done and, and whatnot, all right? I mean, who cares if the bed gets made? The, the point is the child must submit to that disciplined instruction because it's in the exercise of doing that that the patterns are established for the rest of their life. In, in any event, this is what Proverbs will do. To receive or to accept to humble yourself before and submit to the musar, that's the discipline instruction, or the Greek would call it the paideia, the musar in, and now we have the four categories, wise behavior, or what we studied last week or two weeks ago as insightful, successful living. Insightful, successful living. This is the, uh, the verb sakal and the, the masculine psalms the successful living. This is what makes you a success in life. On the battlefield, you want to be a success uh, in your career. You want to be a success in, in anything you do, in any endeavor. If you want the insight for success, God provides that. God provides that. Okay? Satan provides a form of it. He provides a counterfeit form of it. He provides a, uh, a way that he will open your eyes to his way of looking at things, and he will give you uh, victory in his definition of success. <laughs> All right? But it is a failed counterfeit compared to what God provides in God's wisdom of Sakal. So, and, and I think that's pretty self-evident because it's portrayed there in, in David and, and Saul. Saul had success, Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his tens of thousands. And the success that David had sparked all kinds of jealousy in, in Saul because Saul was operating on a different success uh, schematic, <laughs> right? And uh, if we're all operating on the same success schematic, then we don't get bitter or jealous over somebody else's victories. We're happy for them for their sake. Ultimately speaking, we're happy because the success comes from the Lord. That's his business anyway. We'll have more to say about that as well because there's more sakal in the book of Proverbs that we'll be dealing with. But if you want to be successful, study Proverbs. All right? And because Proverbs will provide that kind of insight and that kind of success. Likewise, righteousness. Tzedek, our term for righteousness. The second curriculum course. It's like this discipline instruction. Think of this discipline instruction as a school. The school of Proverbs. All right? And there are four main courses in this school, four main subject matters for the Musar of Proverbs. And this is uh, the four items that are listed here. Wise behavior or successful living, righteousness, justice, and uprightness. And uprightness. All right, so last week we went through all our righteousness passages, uh, starting in Genesis 15, 6, how Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. All the uh, righteousness in uh, Genesis 18 uh, whereby uh, if there were even 10 righteous within Sodom, Sodom could have been spared. And uh, the context of that, Leviticus 19, where righteousness is encoded within the uh, civil law of Israel. Deuteronomy 9, uh, the three verses there, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6. Um, I think we come back to that today. No, we don't. All right. Um, Deuteronomy 16, where it's quoted in the New Testament in John 7, 24, we are commanded to judge with righteous judgment. We are to judge with righteous judgment. And that's one I want to just print off on a bunch of business cards or a bunch of little handout cards, right? Because every time uh, some 
Bible skeptic or God mocker or whatever wants to uh, get real snarky with his judge not lest thou be judged kind of thing. They, 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 they hate the whole Bible, but they'll, they'll hit you with Matthew 7, 1 for whatever reason. And then, uh, okay, judge not lest I be judged. Well, here, how about judge with righteous judgment? And uh, compare and contrast and really develop the passage if you have an interest in that, uh, which they don't, but in any event. 2 Samuel 8, 15, 1 Kings 10, 9. Those were the verses we looked at last week. Plus, notice, 93, 135 uses in the Psalms. 135 uses in the Psalms. Okay? And I think it's, uh, it's, it's deficient in ministries or pastors or, or studies to, to be so wrapped up in Torah, in law, um, as if that's where all the doctrine is in the Old Testament. Wait a minute. <laughs> okay? Do you know how much doctrine there is in the Psalms? How much doctrine there is in the wisdom literature? Why we're going to take the next uh, 15 years to teach Proverbs on Wednesday mornings? Okay, I don't know that. But however long it takes to teach Proverbs, do you know how much doctrine there is in the, in the wisdom literature? There is tons. And yet I've heard doctrinal believers say, I don't pay attention to Psalms, I just want doctrine. Oh, that's, that's ridiculous, all right? It's nonsensical. Uh, 93 uses of righteousness in Proverbs and 75 uses in Isaiah. Isaiah, uh, which we're on the verge of starting, Isaiah has quite a bit to say about righteousness in the uh, prophetic message there. All right, the third and fourth subjects for Musar instruction and what we want to cover today includes justice and uprightness. So we have to deal with Mishpat and Mesharim. So let's start with Mishpat. Point three if you're keeping notes and tracking your own outline. Point three is Mishpat. The third course of instruction, the third realm that God's disciplined instruction uh, develops in us is judgment. Mishpat. M-I-S-H-P-A-T. Mishpat. And it comes from the verb shafat, which means to judge. All right, to judge. So uh, Shaphat, just take the M off, and S-H-A-P-H-A-T, I didn't write it on the screen or give you a Strong's number for it, but Shaphat is the verb, and it means to judge, all right? So all all these uh, moral relativists that want to tell you, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge, well, wait a minute, God's Musar instruction is developing within me an ability for judgment, an ability to judge. All right? He expects me to judge. You can't have judgment if you don't judge. <laughs> That's the point. So, mishpat. And we are to be trained in realms of judgment. Mishpat. 4941 is the strongest concordance number, and it has 421 Old Testament occurrences. And so it, it actually outpaces, Eve, well, probably not. Uh, Tzedek has 119, Tzedakah has 157. Uh, the, now, the adjective tzaddik has another 206, all right? So it's in that range. It's in that ballpark, all right? As a dominant theme of the Old Testament. Anytime you've got something that's, that's over 400 uses, three or 400 uses in the Old Testament, it shows up a lot, <laughs> okay? If, uh, if God takes the time to reference something that many times, it probably means something to him. And he's probably getting our attention, right? When it comes right down to it. So, judgment. And what judgment is, judgment is the flip side of righteousness. They go hand in hand more often than not. The bulk of those 421 uses is in some kind of connection with tzedek or tzedakah or tzedek. All right? Because if you try to have any kind of judgment separated from God's standard of righteousness, it's not proper judgment. As the command said, we already saw the command, judge with righteous judgment. Any judgment apart from the God's standard of righteousness is, uh, is going to be uh, the false scale that God abhors. It's going to be a violation of his character, of his integrity. It's a substitution, really, when it comes down to it. If you think about the, the wrath of God in Romans 1 and exchanging the truth of God for a lie, judgment apart from God's standard of righteousness is that satanic exchange. All right? So... Let's take a look at some of these, and we'll return. Many of these will hopefully be familiar, because if you were with us last week, uh, we saw some of these in their righteousness connections, their tzedakah righteousness connections. We get a chance to look at it now from the judgment connections. Genesis 18, verse 19 and verse 25. 
This is Abraham and his prayer life. Genesis 18, verse 19 and verse 25. Last week we were looking at this from the tzedek side of things. Really saw the whole range of things, starting in verse 19 and going down to verse 28. But after, uh, this is where the angels visit, and Abraham uh, runs into the tent and forces Sarah to fix a meal real quick. And then uh, they they fellowship and they... they, uh, depart. And as they're leaving, they're going down to investigate Sodom, and and the Lord talks to himself here and says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? He ponders the idea himself, voices it out loud so that angels and men can learn from it, and uh, it's recorded in Scripture for our benefit. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So we can rephrase this. Does God hide his purpose from his stewards? Right? The, the, in, in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's Abrahamic covenant. Uh, the, uh, I have chosen him. This is Abrahamic covenant. Abraham is his steward on this earth. And God is not going to hide from his steward. What's the point in having a steward if you don't clue your steward into what the, what's expected of your steward to do? All right. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him. And so you've got a responsibility in the home to keep the way of the Lord by, and here's how you do it, by doing righteousness and justice. That's tzedakah and mishpat. This is how you keep the way of the Lord. This is how you take doctrine and you live it. There ought to be a living expression of the doctrinal reality that you understand. It's not just what you know, it's how you are expressing that in your daily life. How you conduct your business, where you dig your wells, where you shepherd your flocks, where you pitch your tent. Okay, All the earthly activities of what you do in life, in raising your children in your household and all the rest, are you expressing righteousness and justice in your life? Do people look at what you're doing and do they observe the righteousness and justice of God in application? So that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. That's verse 19. We get down to um, part of these prayers. Actually, there's several other uses of righteousness in this context. Like sweeping away the righteous with the wicked in verse 23. And then uh, more righteousness in verse 24. Suppose there are 50 righteous tzaddik within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 tzaddik righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the tzaddik, the righteous, with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Now here's where judgment comes in. Far be it from you, shall not the, the judge, the, the shofate, Right, the verb shafat, you got a participle here. Shall not the judge of the earth deal justly? Shall he not deal with this righteous mishpat, this justice? So the Lord said, All right, you're right. I am the judge of the earth, and I will deal with justice. And so here's our uh, uses in Genesis 18. We get into Exodus. And yes, the point is, God does deal righteously. He does deal in perfect justice. Exodus 21.1. So right away, I mean, that passage by itself kind of sets the table and explains everything, right? Why, why is righteousness and justice so uh, linked together that way? Because they have to be linked together that way. Righteousness is the standard. Justice is the administration of that standard to the, the case-by-case examples that come up. All right? So justice is nothing more than righteousness applied for either blessing or cursing. All right, Exodus 21.1. These are the mishpat, right? I guess it'd be plural probably. Uh, These are the ordinances. It's translated ordinance here, okay? Judgment, justice, custom, ordinance. These are the ordinances which you are to set before them. So we have a practice whereby righteousness is placed into a standard where it becomes 
the basis for judgment in a culture? How does a culture judge between its citizens? How do we judge between two uh, citizens that have a dispute? How do, we, how do we properly administer a standard of justice in a culture? Well, God himself gave a standard for his people when he brought them out of Egypt and he established them as a nation. Chapter 28, verse 15. You know, it says so utterly bizarre. <laughs> this world is so furiously trying to separate uh, any anything biblical from our culture, and and yet they can't. They cannot. They cannot escape it on an absolute basis, because they will still allege that there is right and wrong, and they'll they'll deny that that God is the origin of right and wrong, but they will be furious with you. If, uh, if you uh, point out their hypocrisy on the issue, there is right and wrong. There is justice. And for there to be an objective standard of right and wrong, an objective standard of righteousness, you must have a God of the universe who creates all things and outlines that which is righteous. So it's, uh, it's interesting. And so even, even the laws they don't like, they try to get those laws removed because they say, well, th- that law is not fair. Right? And this law is fair. Well, why have laws? And why, why is anything fair? I agree, laws should be applied fairly. And then if I'm subject to a law, well, then somebody else ought to be subject to the same law. Starting with our politicians, how about that? They ought to be subject to the same law I'm subject to. So we're all in agreement that, that we would like for fairness in our, in our judicial proceedings. So thank you for testifying to the scriptures. Oh, no, 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 no. We can't have laws based on the Bible. You can't escape it. If you want righteous laws, then it's going to be based on the Bible because that's the revelation of what the existence of righteousness even is, the existence of justice even is. The Bible will also tell you when you're perverting it, when you're perverting justice by trying to have an atheistic justice. All right, so um, Exodus 28:15 here. You shall make a breastpiece of mishpat. The breastpiece of judgment. This is part of the uniform of the high priest. Remember, he had a certain robe, and he had a certain hat, and he had a certain breastpiece. Okay? That's what we have here. And uh, the work of a skillful workman, like the work of the ephod, you shall make it. Of gold, of blue, purple, and scarlet material, and fine twisted linen, you shall make it. It shall be a square and folded double. And the, the benefit to folding it double then is that it creates a pocket, <laughs> okay? And uh, that pocket is important because you're going to have two stones in that pocket. Your Urim and Thummim are going in that pocket. But it's called a breastpiece of judgment so that you will have a standard by which to judge. And God is actually providing this in uh, for the sake of his high priest. Now, not everybody in Israel can have their own pocket and their own Urim and Thummim. Okay, so if you pull a coin out of your pocket and flip it to try to get a heads or tails kind of divination on the will of God, I don't advise that. <laughs> God didn't put the, the coin flip process for the church age and for you and I, but in the stewardship of Israel, the great high priest had a uh, pocket with two stones. All right, and this was a method by which on a sanctified basis that he could determine the will of God and he could draw and then he could draw a Urim or a Thummim and determine what, what it was that the nation of Israel needed to do. So it's called here a pocket of judgment, a breastpiece of judgment. And uh, then you shall mount on it four rows of stones. The first row shall be, and then you got the, the delineation of these 12 stones, very similar, interestingly enough, to Satan's uniform in Ezekiel 28. That's why I believe that Satan was a high priest of his uh, angelic priesthood. And in fact, there's even manuscript differences between the Masoretic Hebrew and the Septuagint Greek um, for Ezekiel 28. I think the, uh, because of the, the, the uh, synchronicity here with the high priest and his ephod or his uh, breastpiece. 
Anyway, uh, but the point is, the stones will be according to the names of the sons of Israel, engraved and so forth, so that equal justice applies to all 12 tribes. There's no tribe that gets better justice than all the other tribes. All the tribes are under the absolute justice of, uh, of God for their theocracy. Down to verses 29 and 30 of this chapter, we've got two more uses. Um, Aaron shall carry, verse 29 says, Aaron shall carry the names of the sons of Israel and the breastpiece of judgment over his heart when he enters the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. And so um, the names get written in there and they're written in when he goes in. He represents them, but they're all there with him positionally as he carries their names with him. And um, for a memorial before the Lord continually. Verse 30, you shall put in the breastpiece of Mishpat the Urim and the Thummim. And these, uh, these terms are so mysterious, we don't even translate them, we just transliterate them. <laughs> and uh, we, we give uh, English approximations of what the Hebrew words say. All right? We take the Hebrew words and we spell them with Latin letters, and we read them in English as Urim and Thummim. But these are the two stones, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. And Aaron shall carry the judgment of the sons of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. All right? Why do we place our hand over our heart when we pledge allegiance or when we swear uh, that our judgment is true or that we're going to be faithful to a, to a circumstance, a flag or a nation and what have you? What does it mean to put your hand over your heart? Why is that significant? Okay. Uh, Leviticus. Leviticus 19. So, um, we see very clearly, just through the process of Genesis and Exodus, that uh, judgment is, uh, is a big deal to the Lord. And then when He establishes His nation, He expects that judgment is going to, or judgment justice, that mishpat is going to be applied in his nation, and he's holding the spiritual leadership of that nation accountable. Okay? The, 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 the breast piece of judgment was not part of the king's uniform. It was a part of the high priest's uniform. All right? They didn't even have a king until Saul, uh, Saul and David, right? The, the uh, judgment was vested in the high priest to make sure that the spiritual priorities of a nation remained the way they needed to remain. Because what, what do you do if you have a, a carnally-minded political leader? <laughs> Who's going to remind him of judgment coming from the throne of God? All right, uh, Leviticus, Leviticus 19. And here's... Uh, as the pericope heading says, sundry laws. Okay. Well, yeah, it's an assortment of things. And um, anything in here that you uh, don't like or object to, you think is a problem? Um, <laughs> you know, um, who are we to look at a law and say, well, I don't like that. That doesn't seem right. God's the lawgiver. All right, he's the absolute standard. And he is applying these things to Israel in their national governance for the blessing of their nation, of their society, of their culture. And so when it talks about, um, you know, you're not uh, reaping so thoroughly to the very corners of your field, you shall not gather the gleanings of your harvest. This was for fairness. This was for judgment. This was for uprightness. And some of the things we're going to see next when we get into equity. All right, or uprightness. Um, the idea being that uh, you go, you have a, a square plot of land, but you you reap it in a circle, and you leave the corners unreaped, and and because you're, those are going to be the provision for the poor, they're going to go and they're going to reap, and they're going to glean their food, and they're going to obtain their provision through that. And nor shall you gather the gleanings. In other words, you don't go back a second time, third time, fourth time, and strip it bare like a bunch of locusts. You do your your harvest. And whatever you missed in the process of that harvest, again, that becomes provision for the, for the poor and the needy and the destitute. They can gather the gleanings in the circular area, and then, of course, the fat corners is going to provide for them abundantly. Um, same thing with the vineyards. Uh, you shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. I love that. There's different ways to steal. 
<laughs> All right. There's different ways to steal. And, and maybe you don't have the mask over your face and you're not picking their pocket in the marketplace. Um, maybe you're using government to do it. All right. It says, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. Fraud is, is a form of theft. You shall not swear falsely by my name so as to profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You know, and it's, it's remarkable, all these secularists, they want to have, you know, they like the idea of thou shalt not steal, kind of, but they don't want to admit that it comes from the Bible, thou shalt not steal. You know, they don't want their stuff being, being stolen. But you ask them, well, why? Why not? Why can't I just go take your stuff? If, uh, if our standard of laws is not based on the Bible... If you want to have an atheistic legal system, I, I'm going to go take your stuff, okay? Because you don't believe my Bible that tells me thou shalt not steal. Anyway, you can, you can have a lot of fun with this. And hopefully you can actually be very edifying with this to cause a person to think, yeah, why is stealing wrong? Why is murder wrong? Why is rape wrong? Why is adultery wrong? Why is all this stuff wrong? You know, we, why is all this outrage about a football player that punched his wife? Okay, well, wait a minute. Are you telling me there's an absolute standard of right and wrong? Okay, I agree with you, that's wrong. I totally agree with you, that's wrong. But I've got an objective basis for telling you why that's wrong. And not just because, well, culture and society thinks it's wrong. Okay, and that's all they've got. Uh, still in Leviticus 19, um, you shall not oppress your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. In other words, he's done a fair day's work. You pay him a fair day's wage. Don't withhold his uh, earnings. You shall not curse a deaf man or place a stumbling block before the blind. There's compassion for the disabled. You shall revere your God. I am the Lord. You know, the, uh, I think ancient Israel was highly liberal. <laughs> you know? Compared to the pagans around them? What do the pagans do to the deaf and the blind? You know, that's, I mean, if, if it happened, especially if, if it was from childhood, the man born blind, the blind from birth, you know, the, the pagan wouldn't have that. that. That child would be exposed. That child would be laid out and, and just die of exposure or animals or whatever. Um, the very fact that the man born blind and, and that for Jesus to heal, the fact that that man lived so long that he lived to adulthood, I think it's a testimony to the law, testimony to the nature of Israel under their theocracy and obedience to the Word of God. All right. You shall do no injustice in judgment. This is what we come to now with our Mishpat in verse 15. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor defer to the great. In other words, there's two ways you can go wrong. Judgment has to be according to a standard. And you can't, you can't vary to the left or to the right. It's the same concept we're going to come up with with uh, uprightness in the, in the fourth point. When you get to uh, being upright, all right, you can't go to the left, you can't go to the right. It's got to be straight. Yashar talks about straightness. Here we're talking about fairness. And so just as metaphors, often there's going to be some overlap and there's going to be some uh, blending of the idea here. So you shall not be partial to the poor nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. So whichever way you want to tip the scales, the scales are supposed to be balanced. That's, that's the nature of scales, right? Balanced. And if it tips this way, that's wrong. If it tips that way, it's wrong. If you don't have balanced scales, then you are um, attacking the integrity of God. God himself is righteous. God himself is just. God himself administers everything fairly. That's why he takes this so seriously. Um, down to verses 29 and 30. I mean, there's more we could deal with here, but we'd get lost in this chapter, I think. Um, Do not profane your daughter by making her a harlot so that the land will not fall to harlotry and the land become... Is that the verse I'm looking for? The land will not fall to harlotry and the land become full of lewdness. Thirty-five. Ah, there it is. Okay, thirty-five. 
Oh, 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 okay. Thank you. I was looking at that, and I should have been looking at that. All right. 35. Okay, so no harlot daughters, but we'll skip that for today. Um, You shall do no wrong in judgment. There we go. In measurement of weight or capacity. You shall have just balances and just weights, a just effa, a just hin. Right? Don't devalue your currency. Don't debase your currency. Because that's not a just weight. That's not a just hin. That's not a just effa. Uh, and uh, common in the ancient world. The Babylonians did it, the Persians did it, the Greeks did it, the Romans did it. You know, you end up with these denarius that aren't really silver because they just have a little bit of silver in them, but they, they shave the silver quantity out there to try to make them cheaper. All right. But still put the face value on there as if it's a denarius. We have dollars today that aren't worth the, the, the paper they're printed on. You know, what's the value of a dollar today compared to the value of a dollar 50 years ago? What, what have we done in debasing our currency? Well, we, uh, we're not applying mishpat. And uh, so far as we try to manipulate things, we are defying the God of mishpat. So, but a nation will do this. And it's, it's part of the favoritism. The, the things that are protected get, get protected. Uh, one of the features of Antichrist and, and the tribulation is the fact that uh, the, the food prices are going to go through the roof, but the oil and the wine aren't going to be touched. Okay? That there's going to be uh, a, a subsidy or a blessing or protection for the privileged classes, the luxury goods and whatnot, but the, the actual food items, the, the, what the, the hoi polloi need, that's, that's ramping up through the roof. And a lot of folks aren't going aren't to be able to afford the, the, the very meals. They're going to have to take the mark of the beast just to eat and uh, participate in the economy of different things. So anyway, there's, uh, there's going to be some perversion there that takes place. Anyway, whether it's uh, measurement, weight, capacity, balances, the effa, the hin, it doesn't matter. Whatever the standard is, it has to be applied fairly for the nation in, uh, in whatever capacity. That's why I, I think I used this illustration last week. The, the gas pumps, the gas pumps are inspected. There's a department, there's a state agency that inspects the gas pumps and you make sure, and I start looking at it now every time I pump my gas, to make sure that it's had that recent inspection sticker on there so that I know that it's, it's truly giving me one gallon per gallon, all right? That it's not giving me nine gallons per every 10 gallons. They're not monkeying with the feed so that it's pouring gas in my tank and, and the numbers on the, on the dial match reality, okay? And sometimes I do it myself if I have to get... Uh, fill up the, the thing for my son and his lawnmower, right? You take the, you take the one gallon thing over there and you fill it up. You, you mark the one gallon. You, mark, you, you see where it is in your little, your little container and you, you see where it is there. Say, All right, I got a full gallon. I'm, I'm happy with that. Okay? I don't do it. I should do it with Sharon's 25, 27-gallon Suburban. You know, Sometimes I get skeptical. Wait a minute. Was that really 27 gallons? If they're lying to me. That's a lot of money. All right. But the point being is we're not ripping off one another because it's just a bad idea to rip off one another. People will get mad. The point is, is we have justice in our culture because we want our culture to reflect the justice of God. We want our culture to be a reflection of him for his good pleasure, for the glo- ultimately for the glory of Jesus Christ. If we are going to have a, a society that is, cares about such a thing. All right. So, um, that's Leviticus 19, all right? Verse 35, verse 37. Thus you shall observe all my statutes and all my mishpat, all my ordinances, and do them, I am the Lord. And so when it's codified in statute, it becomes legally binding upon your culture, upon your society. Deuteronomy 16. Deuteronomy 16. Man, I've got to get through this. I want to do 3 and 4 today. Deuteronomy 16. You shall appoint for yourself judges and officers in all your towns which the Lord your God is giving you. So in other words, it's going to be local. We have a distinction between national and tribal and local. Okay, Or today we would say national, state, county. 
right? But back then, it was the nation of Israel, the tribe that they were under, and then their clan, uh, typically in their villages. So you shall appoint for yourself judges and officers in all your towns, which the Lord your God is giving you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. Mishpat has to be according to the standard of tzaddik, of tzedakah, righteousness. You shall not distort justice. You shall not be partial. You shall not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall pursue, that you may live and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you. See, perversion of justice has consequences, and the consequences come from God. The eyes, uh, the bribe will blind the eyes of the wise, pervert the words of the righteous. And all the perversions that come about when money gets injected into things. If, uh, you know, the little cash under the table, and so the judge pronounces not guilty, and the man walks. Wait a minute. How does that happen? You know, we talk about how we have the, the finest legal system money can buy. Okay, And that's a problem <laughs> because we should have a legal system that cannot be bought, a legal system that no amount of money can buy. But it's the way that it is. And uh, the folks with a whole lot of money get to purchase a different kind of justice. And in some cases, the folks with very little money, they get a different kind of justice too because they use the law to plunder they find, ooh, deep pockets, I'm going to sue. And, and then there's injustice that direction where, uh, well, you know, they got deep pockets. They don't need it. You know, McDonald's has a lot of money. I should get three million bucks for the coffee I spilled on my lap. That's a perversion of justice. Is, is that right? Is that fair? Justice and only justice you shall pursue that you may live and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving to you. And uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is, in fact, a biblical concept. But if we're going to pervert justice, we can't assume that the, the provider of life and liberty is going to continue to provide that in our, uh, in our nation. Second Samuel 8, 15. These are the descriptions of the kings. As we saw, David was known for his righteousness and his justice. And... Um, David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and righteousness for all his people. This is the purpose for why God gives us civil government, why we have a king, uh, the king that's uh, an agent in his hand, a minister. Remember Romans, we, were, we read that he, the, the, uh, the state does not bear the sword for nothing. There's a reason why he has a sword. The sword is for the administration of righteousness and justice. Um, so there's David, 1 Kings 10, 9, is the queen of Sheba praising uh, Solomon for his righteousness and his justice. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel because Yahweh loved Israel forever. Therefore he made you, that Solomon, king to do mishpat and tzedakah, righteousness, to do judgment and righteousness or justice and righteousness. So the Queen of Sheba had a had a perspective there to praise Solomon in that in that aspect. Just like with righteousness, it's a dominant theme in Psalms and Proverbs, also in Isaiah. Sixty five times in Psalms, twenty times in Proverbs, and forty two times that Isaiah references Mishpat, references judgment. So stay tuned. We'll we'll be seeing these subjects again. Then finally, uprightness. Uprightness. Equity, well, okay. There are applications where maybe equity might be a good English translation, but I think more often than not, we're talking about something that's straight. We're talking about the straight and narrow, a straight shooter, a straight, someone who's walking straight, upright. The idea of yashar is to be straight or to be right. The adjective uh, yashar, to be upright or straight. Uh, even yoshur and yishra that speak of something in its straightness. Something in its uprightness. Okay? So, Mesharim speaks of that sphere, that realm of being upright. I don't have any problem with upright. I think uh, upstanding. We talk about fine, upstanding citizens. I uh, talk about upright. This, is, this was the description of Job in Job 1. Mesharim is the term in Hebrews, or in the term in uh, Proverbs here, number 4339, only has 19 uses, it's pretty small. 
Uh, it comes from Mishor, which has another 23 uses. Actually, Mishor is a singular. Misharim is the plural. Um, but the verb has another 25 uses. The adjective has 119 uses. Now we're talking. <laughs> okay. Now we've got a significant sample to, to look through in the Old Testament. Then there's Yosher with 14 uses. And Yeshara with a, with a single use. Just add it to the family. This whole family of terms that all come off the same root. The same Y-S-H-R root. Every one of those terms has a Y, an S-H, and an R. And that's the nature of it. All right. So, what does it mean to be upright? See, this is the thing. Uh, the world denies the existence of God, rejects the Scripture as valid, and yet, and yet, the world will try to put forth uh, its own concept of morality, its own concept of uprightness. In other words, I have nothing to be ashamed of. I am, I am, I'm right with this. I am upright. I am, I am uh, straight. Okay, it's something that I'm just straight up with you about. We have those idioms, right? We have those expressions. Uh, an upright member of the community. Well, on the basis of what? On what standard? How can he be upright? Job chapter 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless, upright. There's our Yashar, Mesharim. Blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Well, no wonder he was upright because he feared the Lord. As we're going to see in Proverbs 1 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the fear of the Lord that caused him to grow in the grace and knowledge of, of El Elyon, of God Almighty. Didn't have a New Testament, didn't have an Old Testament, didn't have any written scriptures. But he was blameless and upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. That's the description there in Job 1. Also, verse 8. Uh, it's not just uh, the author of Job's uh, appraisal here. The Lord himself uses these terms. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There was no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. So from the lips of Yahweh himself, this is the description of Job. I believe Moses is the author of Job, but he wrote the story down based on how he learned it from um, his father-in-law from Jethro the Midianite and uh, brought this uh, story back to Israel in the, uh, in the Exodus and under the Holy Spirit's inspiration canonized it in its composition in any event. So there's the description of Job down to chapter 2 and verse 3. Again, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There was no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. All right? And that's a huge doctrine right there. How do I maintain my uprightness even if uh, I'm being tested, I'm being hammered, I'm going through tough times? Okay, your character is your character, and your character really exposes itself when things are rough. Okay, when things are going smooth and fun and games and all that, you can just kind of float along with a form of uprightness and fool everybody. But then when things get rough, now you find out what the real character truly is. Okay. Um, 41 times in Psalms, including some very significant ones, and I didn't want to skip these. 41 times in Psalms, including Psalm 33, verse 1 and verse 4. Got six minutes to get through this. Psalm 33, 1. Sing for joy to the Lord, O you righteous ones, you tzaddik. Uh, pr praise is becoming to the upright. To the upright. So there's the use there. Verse 3. Sing to him a new song. Is it verse 3? No, verse 4. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. His very word is Yashar. So if we live our lives according to his standard, we too will be Yashar. We too will be upright. 
we will be upright so long as we conduct ourselves according to his word. Psalm 45 and verse 6. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. And then ultimately that's true in all circumstances, but prophetically, of course, this uh, we, we can see reference here to the messianic reign of Jesus Christ. That's the scepter that he will bear. He is the only perfectly upright king this planet has ever seen. <laughs> all right, and goes on to say, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. And this is a marvelous messianic passage of the king, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and how he's going to conquer at second advent and rule this world. Um, Forty times in Proverbs, we'll come back to this again and again. Uh, Hosea 14.9. Daniel, Hosea, Joel. I don't know why, it's always... I always got to run through my list of minor prophets anytime I go to the minor prophets. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. All right, make sure I'm fresh on that. I get rusty, and in particular, Logos makes me a Bible cripple in terms of just type in HOS, and the software takes you right there. All right. Whoever is wise, this is how Hosea comes to an end. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, here's our binah, discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the are upright, and the righteous will walk in them, but transgressors will stumble in them. Okay? So this is how I conduct my life, my personal life. I am upright in my personal life, but only because, not because I'm better than the next guy, not because society holds me in some kind of esteem. All right? You know, two people in, in uh, two neighbors in the community, and one is considered upright and respectable. The other one is considered eh, kind of shady. Well, what's the standard? Why, why is one citizen considered upright and the other citizen's not? Well, if you separate it from the biblical uh, absolute standards, then you're left adrift in some kind of a moral relativistic thing. Finally, Habakkuk 2.4. Or Habakkuk, if you prefer that. Habakkuk. Habakkuk. All right, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Haggai. I lost Habakkuk. There it is. Yes. Get before Zephaniah. All right. Habakkuk 2.4. We're used to Habakkuk 2.4 because it's quoted so often in the New Testament. At least the last phrase is, the righteous shall live by faith. Got it. The just shall live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. Got it. Okay. So I'm going to be righteous in God's sight. I'm going to live by faith. But what's the first part of the verse say? Behold, as for the proud one, as for the proud one, and that could be Satan, that could be anybody following Satan's system of evil. That's you when you're carnal. Okay? That's me when I'm carnal. As for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. <laughs> this is, this is uh, kind of blunt, isn't it? You ever look at somebody and say, hey, that, that's just not right. <laughs> Something about that guy is just not right. His soul is just not right. It's not yashar. It's not straight. There's something off. There's something just a little bent. As for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. It's not a straight soul. It's crooked. Well, what causes that crook? What causes that bend? What causes that, that hitch? But the righteous will live by faith. Okay? Pride is a huge enemy. Pride, uh, Colonel Theme used to say, is the granddaddy of all sins. And I think that's accurate. 
pride because it so festers and it feeds everything else. All right, well, we want to be upright, but here's the thing. We want Proverbs to give us this. We don't want the world system of what is righteous and what is success and what is uh, fair and what is upright. Because you can have unbelievers out there and they would tell you that they are uh, successful and right and fair and, and, and moral or upright. They'll tell you that, but what's their basis for telling you that? And it comes back to their, basically their philosophy of secular humanism. Okay? They've created a counterfeit mode by which they're good people. Anyway, we'll deal more with this next week because I'm out of time. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Open, continue to open the eyes of our understanding. Father, that we want to embrace your wisdom. And through your wisdom, Father, we want all of our character to be shaped. Our thinking will be shaped, our being will be shaped, and it will be exhibited in our lives on a personal basis, on a family basis, marital basis, on a national basis. Father, this is how we can be salt and light in our community to have more and more believers that conduct themselves by biblical norms and standards. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.